I'm not going to say hello. I'm going to try something new. I've noticed almost every podcast in the world starts with, hey, everyone. Yeah. So I'm not going to say, hey, everyone. I'm going to tell you that I'm doing oh, okay. something new. Oh. So, hey, everyone. Welcome to Timeline Scavengers. Wait a minute. Uh, the podcast. Well, hang on. Yeah, no, something doesn't seem right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Timeline Scavengers, the MCU podcast designed to last forever. I'm Colin Parker, one of your hosts. And I'm James Anderson, your other host. On this show, we are going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe scene by scene in historical order until the end of time. That is correct. You know what's also correct is the fact that it's been, like, honestly, almost a month since we last recorded together. Yeah, we're figuring it out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I like the way that it works because, like, we have the ability sometimes to really sort of stock up and get ourselves ready to go. We're yeah. kind of about to do that again because November is going to be wild for both of us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, the end of my semester is going to be possibly the worst time I've ever had in school. I'm already, at the day of recording this, the 24th of October, 2021, uh, I am currently in five classes simultaneously. Oof. Not how it was supposed to work, but the hurricane delay and all that other stuff. So mm. it's, you know... There's weird stuff going on. It's a lot of work, so we're not going to be recording for a bit. <laughs> right. right. Uh, but it's fine. We've got so many episodes ready to go. Absolutely. We're good to go. Absolutely. What is also correct, James, is that yes. we are still in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7, Episode 1. Yes. Now, I'm looking at these timestamps, Jam. Uh, nope. <laughs> I just called you Jams. I'm looking at these Stein... No, my God. Stein <laughs> I'm looking at these timestamps, James. Yes. Weirdly harder to say than I think you think it is. <laughs> uh, could you kind of walk us through how this is being broken down? There were so many 1931 episodes that we were going to do. And what you're going to see in this episode is three timestamps full of basically the same thing with no plot consequences for doing what I did, which is sort of jamming them together. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped when the information revealed in the timestamp would have had an effect on a scene we hadn't covered yet. Correct. um, To keep the sort of flow of it, but I didn't feel like we need that. You'll also notice, um, actually, no, there, there were scenes. So it would be like scene one of the time I mean, we're talking about some interrogation scenes so right. scene interrogation scene interrogation scene interrogation and i just took all of those interrogation scenes and put them into one because they're the same event we probably don't need to cover it three different times it's kind of like how we're going to do basically a couple of scenes that make sense to be back to back in captain america and then we'll do the what if captain carter version of those same scenes right. they're essentially the same time but instead yeah. of interjecting into each other all constantly, it's like we're gonna get through the chunk that makes sense to be one story, one right. like kind of scene, and then we'll go back and do that. Meanwhile, right? Oh, yeah. Um. The other the other example I always go to is in Luke Cage. There's a fight in the present, and during the fight in the present, there are flashes back to a fight in the past. So I'm thinking. I mean, we because they're two different times, we'll have grouped them together. I'm imagining we'll have. That'll be an episode, like one episode, 
with like eight timestamps in the, in the yeah. <laughs> so it's it's when it when they've done it in an editing way we kind of unstitched that right uh as long as it doesn't mess up with the plot um you know aside from time being a weird spoiler like if you do a reveal to the past we'll already have covered that but Mm-hmm. If it's it's a if it's a flow of something, but it's how you've organized when the scenes happen, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of try and consolidate when I can, um, so that we don't have. And it's another interrogation scene right. today. I'm calling so like that. That's sort of where we are. Especially because one of the scenes is six seconds long, so I feel like that would be yeah. the shortest episode of Timeline Scavengers. I would go well. They say these two sentences, um, and that's it. James, do you yeah. have anything else? Nope. Great. Well, we'll see you next week. You know what I mean? Like that would be insane. I feel like. <laughs> the so, listeners like this. They say they're done, but how is this a thirty-five minute episode? Well, yes, Colin, you know, I yes, do have say, music of nineteen thirty-one. So let's get into it. In the dawn well, it, of time, there the other was. thing is, it's also us, right? Like yeah. we have the ability to turn anything that's supposed to be short into long term. I know we've probably commented on it on so many different forms of media at this point, but like. When you first had me guest on Blink and You'll Miss It, and we're like, all right, the episodes are five minutes long, so you know we're going to do five songs. We should be done in like, oh, let's say 30 minutes. And then like an hour and a half later, we were like, oh, shit. That's going to be a lot of editing on your part, bud. You know, <laughs> It was just like constant talking about these things. Uh, exactly. And speaking of constant talking, that is exactly what our friends from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are trying to get this Chronicom, or Chronicop, rather, to do in today's episode. So... Uh, since we've mentioned the timestamps, let me just give you these um, real quick. So you're going to start at 2946 and go to 3049. Then you're going to skip to 3314 and go till 34 minutes even. And then 3434 to 3440. Got it? Great. Not going to repeat it, so let's go. I <laughs> uh, hope you took notes. Speaking of notes, here's the entirety of that scene synopsized. Enoch states that no form of interrogation is going to, you know, he goes through that whole thing. Yeah. He's basically saying the chronicoms are too good. You can't break them. Yo-Yo says that she may try out her new arms and give them the old workover just to see how it goes. Maybe she can loosen something up. Gemma walks in fucking cool, collected, menacing, which is weird to say for Gemma. Smoking. Uh, What's that? I was going to say, like, she comes in smoking, like, all right, yeah, let's pretty go. much. She's like, but I, do you want Gemma, to do so this? Like... Hey, I, uh, I will break him by your midnight. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, whoa, what the hell? Um, so she walks in and she talks about how she's going to overload him with data because he's just going to spit stuff out if he's processing too much at once, kind of like how Colson did. So she then pulls out this huge plug and Yo-Yo says, is that his data port? And Gemma, with, like, just no remorse, in fact, no emotion at all, is just like, no, it's not. And then, wham, slams the prongs into the back of the Chronicob's head in one of the most metal, and if that was a human, would have probably, like, severely paralyzed him for life. For sure. Um, uh, And just, bam, right into the back of the neck, like, where the head meets the spine, essentially. Uh, And immediately starts her interrogation. What are the Chronicom's planning? He kind of smiles smugly. He's like, oh, do you think that's going to get... And then, you know, hacker, I'm in. And then turns up the intensity. And suddenly, you know, now we're cooking. Um, 
we come, you know, we come to him and he's, you know, processing this and trying to not speak unknown variable, unknown location, unknown acquired target. And, you know, so he's just kind of, yeah, splurt, you know, uh, 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 blurting, blur, uh, blurting thing. So he's just blurting things out, but not really giving them anything. Right. Yo-Yo says, this is taking too much time. And almost simultaneously with the word time, he blurts out to her, time, you will never comprehend its true nature. And he starts talking real smack about how the anthropologist took so many notes that now we know how, uh, like, you know, how many threads and which threads to pull on to unravel S.H.I.E.L.D. forever. And as she says, we'll see, Gemma turns it up again. Things get kind of worse for the guy. <laughs> He's just speaking gibberish until finally he just goes, resist, very loudly. <laughs> Enoch warns her that if she pushes too hard, his system could shut down permanently. And uh, she kind of just doesn't care. She just looks at the man and goes, how are you going to hit FDR? More gibberish. And he screams one final line, pull the thread. Yeah. And that's the scene. It's very good. It's very cool. It's fun to me to see a character that... Now, when I say that they are weak, I don't mean that she's not a strong character, right? Right. But her strengths are not in fighting, in interrogation, right. Right. in this sort of thing. Her strengths are like in her specific field. And right. she comes in suddenly just like kind of like you're saying like smoking like you know oh well, you know we'll be out before dinner kind of thing you know like yeah it's just like she is just a whole new person essentially within this scene right um and it's kind of scary in a way you know because yeah. she's so pure and innocent and wonderful and then she comes in like just stabbing a man in the spine and is just like let's get it done <laughs> you know, uh, like, all right. Hey, y'all, y'all hungry? I started some popcorn. You know, go see if it's done popping. Yeah, yep. And yeah, he was like, "What? You made popcorn for this?" <laughs> um, now, James, I want to ask you. Yeah. Maybe not a robot because I don't think that those are going to be available in our time. But if you had to interrogate someone, yeah, what would you do to just sort of, I don't know, like how would you break them? Like, would you go aggressive or would you? Do something, you know, totally different. Well, in answer to your host to hostion, uh, which is what uh, we'll be referring to any questions that the hosts ask of each other from now on. Um, I think that, like, I like to think that I do the cool, like, um, kind of like war games, like the only solution is to not play. Just sort of like give it a human thread of thinking and watch it mm -hmm. sort of paradox itself out. Um, you could also do like a time, like basically just play it that episode about uh, time streams that we did with Tracy. That would be a, another good way of doing it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd basically, I'd basically like to, to do sort of a divide by zero and break the Excel spreadsheet cell sort of thing where it wouldn't be like aggressive. I wouldn't want to plunge anything into any sort of neck areas or whatever, but I think it. I'd like it to be sort of like a quick, like a like a syringe to the neck, where it's like, and I inject this, and you talk. So digital sodium pentothal. I pentium thal. That I mean, that works totally. I feel like I would love to be the carrot to someone else's stick. Uh huh. 
Uh-huh. Um, I feel like I could handle that. I couldn't handle being the stick, but I could handle being the carrot. Yeah. Uh, which is something we'll talk about again later. Um, there's <laughs> also, uh, like, I feel like I could totally do the thing. It's very, okay. There's a Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode where, uh, th- like, one of the best pieces of interrogation I've ever seen, which is essentially him going in to an interrogation room, like, convinced that he has the answer and it being so terribly wrong but he keeps playing it up as like i've got you i've solved it right like really just like you know bragging about how good he is and so the thing is that he plays it up to the point where he's like i'm so smart i'm smarter than you see i figured it out and the guy finally breaks down and blurts out like no i didn't do that because that would be stupid and like basically he then has to prove that he's smarter and he tells him what he really did then realizes that he's just now given the answer so i would do that i would just do nothing but waste their time for as long as possible then do that and just watch them like be so desperate to show me how dumb i am because i am uh Uh that they would then tell me the truth and i go thank you for your uh corroboration and then i would just walk out Uh, that would be very good because i don't think i could throw a punch because i think if it got to that point I think I would hit them and then I would go, ow, like I would be like, your face hurt my hand, you know, okay, probably not that whiny, but, um, you know, I would definitely be like, oh, you know, really bummed about it. (laughs) Um, I think that another good way, um, if you could figure it, if you were a good, like, um, you know, IT person, if you could like, um, partition their own like hard drive into two separate Ooh. things and play them against each other so that they beat themselves. That'd be a pretty good, a pretty good way of doing it too. That'd be tight. We're like, they're, they're also... doing the Turing test on each other. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like another fun thing to do would just to be like, find someone who can hack into their stuff and then just be like, I'm going to text your mom, bro. Uh, you know, bro. Like, so, you know, you have, a minute before and i'll read out loud being like mom got in trouble again this time for corporate espionage lol trying to do a hit on president you know like like just like yeah. typing that kind of stuff is like no you can't tell my mom that what are you doing you know <laughs> just you know pitting them against themselves it's like they'll do anything but don't let mom know um colin i've solved it i've solved yes. it y2km just plug in change their years to two digit Y2K, I'm mm. say it's 1999, boom, 2000, we win. There you go. Yeah, and say, and I set the timer or the, the, the clock for this day and time in 1999. We're going to watch the clock tick towards midnight. And like you have basically the midnight countdown to tell me what I need or all your shit's broken. And I slowly start turning up shares believe just as it gets closer and closer to midnight just for ambiance, like a 1999 feel. I would also just find like every clip that like middle-aged dads like to watch on YouTube. Uh, and I don't know what that means necessarily. I just feel sure. like they probably look up a bunch of like war movie clips and stuff like that. Just right. get a bunch of like those and just put them on an endless loop and just eat popcorn yeah. the whole time loudly, like mouth open, watch them on a loop, not saying a word to them, but like make them constantly watch it. And eventually they'll be like, please, like not you two. Like, okay, fine. I'll, you know, I did it or whatever, you know. You can this do is like fun. my father. We're, we're coming up with a lot of options for the government right now. My father-in-law uh, uh, channel surfs TikTok. 
So he'll get on TikTok and he's like, I gotta find a good one. And like just scroll, 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 scroll until he finds the one he's looking for. And so that would be a way to break them too, because <laughs> Okay, hang on. Stop. This was gonna be a short episode, but now how is this okay, stop. Explain this further. Because this this has broken me. Yeah, I watched I watched it work on Colin. So we have confirmed that Colin is not a Chronicom. Chronicom. Chronicom? I've never hmm. made that mistake before. That's a new one. <clears throat> Maybe you're um, the Chronicom. Oh, oh God. Jeez, oh. uh, oh, overload. Boop, Time. Um, You'll never know the true nature. <laughs> uh, he was trying to illustrate something to us about a sound that was used that he enjoyed. Like there was a sound, like a, a particular TikTok sound meme that he was enjoying. It was a, uh, it was um, fancy like you know the most annoying of uh uh got two tickets to applebee's and like the it's it's that country song about going to applebee's and getting a sunday and stuff it's the most what are you talking about i am very clearly on a different side of tiktok well no okay here's the deal as am i okay this is his think side of, of TikTok. the think of the most annoying country song you can think of all then of got it. take no 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 take most. think of the most most annoying like okay. so stereotypical got the blue jeans and the no, song okay, that Bo Burnham is I making know. fun of in that country yes. song. Then take all the uh, uh, ruralness out of it okay. and put it in the suburbs. Okay, that's the song fancy like currently okay. in the top 10 of the hot 100 on billboard it's the most That's frustrating song so Anyways, frustrating to hear it's also applebee's did uh make a commercial using it because they're no dummies cool. it took actually longer yeah. than i thought um but he was he was looking for that so he scrolled until he saw it but he was just going like super fast like your hand motion right now yeah. How did he see it if he was going that fast? I don't, I don't, that's what I didn't understand was how is he knowing when to stop the Russian roulette? Here's how I th think that it could have logically worked. If he was on his, but see, I didn't get the impression that he subscribed or he like, you know, followed anyone. Maybe he did. If he followed someone and he knew they'd posted something and it was just a matter of scrolling to it, that'd be one thing. He didn't search. He didn't. As far as I know, he was on the For You page and literally just like, all right, let's see what I can find. And it was the most baffling thing I've ever seen. I saw that's some yeah. weird tech wizardry, actually, that I yeah. don't fully understand. Uh, that's all that I had, though, for this episode. So I'm ready for the music. Well, this um, this uh, scene when you were describing it, I had never put it together. But do you know that scene in Princess Bride where he's torturing Wesley with like the water mm -hmm. torture thing? Yeah, that G Gemma is is Prince Humperdinck and uh, the Chronicom is Wesley. Like, she's like, yeah. I don't care. Turn it up. I don't give a crap. Tell us, my, tell me the answer. I don't care if I break you. You're dead anyway. Well, but like, you also want Wesley to survive. Exactly. That, this, that's what I'm saying. You're like, whatever. It's so, but it's so funny that it's the same scene. It's literally like just a, I mean, it's, it's not, but it's the same situation transposed, but we're, we're rooting for Prince Humperdinck in this, in this situation, which is funny. Anyways, let's get into the music of 1931. Um, today's episode is going to be about 
The song Monin Low by Sophie Tucker. Sophie Tucker uh, was a Russian-born American singer. She moved to America basically when she was a kid. Um, she was known by the nickname The Last of the Red Hot Mamas. Um, and you might be like, oh, the, the, you know, the 30s, the early times, that was so funny because they made, so- made things sound like they were like sexy or like racy or whatever uh, when they weren't. Like Last of the Red Hot Mamas because she was well, always wore red hot dresses or whatever. No, 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 no. This was a raunchy singer here, Colin. This was a naughty, not, this was like the Cardi B of the Megan the Stallion of uh, 1930s uh, white Russian ladies. All right. This so, has my full attention. Yeah. Not that you don't normally, but <laughs> I, yeah, I'm on board. All right. So uh, she started singing in her, so she, they, her family moved to America from Russia. Her family opened a restaurant. She started singing at her parents' restaurant for tips. She was also waitressing. So she would take orders serve customers and in between that it says she would quote stand up in the narrow space by the door and sing with all the drama i could put into it at the end of the last chorus between me and the onions there wasn't a dry eye in the place so <laughs> she was like here's your food and excuse me while i belt it out like it so is like that diner in new york city what is it called is that the starlight diner starlit uh, diner yeah, I Star... think so. yeah yeah, Star yeah but if but if the people wanted to be there and wanted to do it and were huge hams. <laughs> and also I think we're like yeah. like twelve. Like if they were like kids. Oh. You know, like uh, So it was child labor. It, well, she was working for a family, so yes. Um okay, true. true. So uh yeah, but it's like that Amy Poehler I, I always reference this character, no one ever knows her, but Amy Poehler played a character named Caitlin, who is this annoying like ten year old, ten to twelve year old girl who was like, Rick, Rick. And she'd be like, it was Amy Poehler at her most energetic, like running in circles around this guy because she was basically like, it was it was amazing. That's how I imagined Sophie Tucker was at this age. Okay. All right. So in 1903, oh, she was born, sorry, Sophia Kalish because she married at 17, she married this guy named Louis Tuck. She eloped with him. He was a beer cart driver. Uh, and she derived her name Tucker from his, profe- uh, from his name. Um. She, when she returned home, her parents arranged an Orthodox wedding for the couple. In 1905, she gave birth to a son named Albert. However, shortly after Albert was born, the couple separated, and Tucker let, left the baby with her family to move to New York City. So, wow. yeah. So, uh, in 1907, so and that's all we hear Sorry, about the Albert. baby. I'm sure the baby was just uh, that baby. Albert was Stanley. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> did you know that Stanley's real name was real name Albert yeah. Tuck? All right. Um, all right. So, nineteen oh seven, she was in her first th- in her first theater appearance. Uh, she was in. This was the time of vaudeville. Um, so she was into that. The producers, it says, thought that the crowd would tease her for being so big and ugly. She was she was a big lady, but she was like, you know, in your face um, and awesome. Early in her career, this is so. This is a disclaimer. Before we before we hear some cool things about her, disclaimer. Sort of. Early in her career, she appeared in blackface as a minstrel singer. Oh, boy. But she disliked this work and would sabotage the act by revealing that she was white at the end of the show. I included that because I'm not sure whether that's subversive in a good way or just sort of subversive in a showbiz way. And I'm not sure. So I don't know any more details than that. I wanted to say that in case anyone's like, let me look at this cool lady. Um it's not, but it's not like she's like, I'm so good at blackface, da 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 da. 
Um, Anyways, Tucker also began integrating, quote, fat girl humor, which became a common thread in her act. Her songs included, I don't want to get thin and nobody loves a fat girl, but oh, how a fat girl can love. Um, So I feel like body positivity in kind of a, a a really strong um, sort of in your face way, which is cool. Uh, She was on, she was performing with the Ziegfeld Follies in 1909 um, the other female stars refused to share the spotlight with her, and the company was forced to let her go. So she was too good. No one wanted to like be in the spotlight with her because she was like, "It's me, restaurant dancing Sophie Tucker." Like, um, so then she, so they let her go, but she caught the attention of this guy named William Morris. And you might be like, William Morris, like the William Morris Agency, yeah, that one. Oh. Cool. <laughs> so that, that's okay. <laughs> the guy who made agents. You know agents? I have an agent. That guy. Mm-hmm. The guy that made that famous. He made um, Shield? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agents of Shield well, by William Morris Agency. FBI and the CIA. That's <laughs> wild. Agents of Shield Hollywood edition starring William Morris. Exactly correct. Mm-hmm. Um, the the West Coast branch. Yeah, exactly. Of West. the SSR. But yeah. right. Right, um, SS Star. Okay, so it's a it takes place on a boat. <laughs> okay. Um, two years good. later, she released a, a song called "Some of These Days" on Edison Records. Um, the title of the song was used as her, the title of her biography. It was released on Edison Records. Correct. I thought it was. Wait, what was the first part of it again? She or released the actual song? some some of these days. I thought the name of the song was "Some of These Days" on whatever records, and I was like, yeah. "Whoa, that's a weird name." And I was like, oh, no, it's this song released on. Right, right. It took me a second to recognize what you had said. And then I went, now I don't know what it actually is called. All right, sorry. Please, <laughs> right. Now, now I'm good. Somebody's All right, so she she met this guy, uh, Ted Shapiro, in 1921. And he was sort of her pianist and musical uh, musical director. She's sort of like the Paul Schaefer. Like, oh, she cool. would she would yeah. be singing and, like, bantering with him, whatever. Um, oh, they yeah. didn't exchange banter and wisecracks in, with her in between numbers. She remained a popular singer through the 1920s and became friends with stars such as Mamie Smith and Ethel Waters, who introduced her to jazz. Tucker learned from these women and became one of the early performers to introduce jazz to white vaudeville audiences, which is kind of cool. Um, Or it's cultural appropriation. So, but, you know, it's that's a that's a line that I don't know if they were really walking then. Anyways, so vaudeville started to decline and she was sort of really affected by it because she was so dang good at it right right so um she was uh, before she performed or she was speaking about performing in the final show at ef alby's uh palace in new york city she said everyone knew the theater was going was to be closed down and a landmark in show business in show business would be gone that feeling got into the axe the whole place even the performers stank of decay i seemed to smell it it challenged me I was determined to give the audience the idea. Why brood over yesterday? We have tomorrow. As I sang, I could feel the atmosphere change. The gloom began to lift. The spirit which formerly filled the palace and which made it famous among vaudeville houses the world over came back. That's what an entertainer can do. And I included that huge quote because I feel a little bit like that with podcasting. Yeah. Oh, Um, James, that was very nice, actually. That That was a good little sentiment. Yeah. Um, so she was in her first movie in 1929. It was called Honky Tonk. Then during the 30s, she brought elements of nostalgia for the early years of the 20th century into her show. She was billed as the last of the Red Hot Mamas, as her hearty sexual appetite was a frequent subject of her songs. Unusual for female performers of the day after the decline of vaudeville. 
Yeah, I think in vaudeville, people were like, boy, I like to fuck. So anyways, <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, yeah. shift, shifting wildly uh, to the other side of the, of the sort of entertainment spectrum, the cartoon, the Merry Melodies cartoon, The, wood, the Woods Are Full of Cuckoos, caricatures Tucky, Tucker as a character named Sophie Turkey, which I think is very funny to turn Sophie Tucker into Sophie Turkey. And I think someone uh, did a good job. I like that. It's a good job. Um, okay, so then the other thing is... Um, on November 4th, 1963, there was this thing that they would do every year called the Royal Variety Performance, where British acts perform for the royalty, like mm-hmm. Queen, Queen's Kids, Queen's Butlers, Queen's, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah. Not the, probably not the Butlers. Anyways, um, so in 1963, the Beatles performed, and this is the show where John said, for our last number, I'd like to ask for your help. Will the people in the cheaper seats clap your hands and the rest of you just rattle your, jewel- just rattle your jewelry, which is... Amazing, because she's ta- he's talking to the queen, yeah. um, and that's um. So that's uh, at that same show, Paul McCartney introduced the song "Till There Was You." He says it was recorded by quote our favorite American group, Sophie Tucker, which she didn't record that. But I like him being like our favorite American group, and people are like, okay, what like Buddy Holly or like Sam, you know, Sam Cooke or Little Richard probably. And right. He's like Sophie Tucker, and they're like the vaudeville lady. What? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the lady so that then, loves to fuck? Is that what, yeah. is that what he's talking about? <laughs> right. And then uh, in the musical Chicago, there's a line about her, uh, which is, and oh. Sophie Tucker will shit I know to see her name get billed below Foxy Roxy Hart, which um, I love when musicals oh. that are renowned for being like, oh, that cool one with Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, have like curse <laughs> words and stuff in them. Like Grease is yeah. so hilarious to me because it's like, oh yeah, I love that. Hopelessly devoted to you. And it's like, have you listened to any of the lyrics of any yeah. of the songs. All right. So <laughs> that is Sophie Tucker. Monin Low is not like a pop. It's like, it's a torch song. Um, it was written by Ralph Ranger and with lyrics by Howard Dietz. It was published in 1929 and introduced the same year in the musical review, The Little Show. Um, became a hit. And then um, a recording of the Charleston Chasers, vocal by Eva Taylor, was also popular in 1929. Uh, since its publication, the song has become a popular jazz standard. So basically, 1929, they released it. 1931, Sophie Tucker put her naughty little name her on spin. it. And then, exactly. And uh, and that's Moan and Low by Sophie Tucker. Um, basically, the Megan Thee Stallion of the 30s. So that's, that's that. dope. I'm, that's, yeah. I need to remember to make sure that that's like both in the show notes and part of the Twitter like yeah. thing. Sophie Tucker's like, ah. All right. So... Um, <laughs> How That's the first time I've ever tried that, that uh, Megan the Stallion thing. That um, was hey, honestly, pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Pretty spot on. How Thanks. do we get her on the show? Sophie Tucker or Megan the no. Stallion? Well, so- Sophie Tucker is probably dead. I'm assuming for sure. I'm for assuming sure. Assuming long dead. So <laughs> yeah, not her. <laughs> okay, it's weird that I asked. I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, just ask her probably. She's probably like, right. God, how come no Marvel podcasts are asking me to be on their show? Listen, here's the thing: she does a bunch of like nerd ass shit. So like, and I sure. and I say that like in all respect, obviously. absolutely for sure. So like, you know, I'm assuming if we're like, hey, yeah? how you feel about Agents of Shield? If she was like, eh, not my favorite, but Agent Carter, love that shit. You know, I'll she's, be like, she, great. She's like, uh, Agents of Shield, I guess. Only season seven really spoke to me. Yeah, we're like, oh, perfect. 
James and Colin both drop their phones at the same time, miles away. She's like, season five is the one we're like, fuck, well, we'll see you in 10 years. Um, (laughs) Maybe longer. Make sure of it. And we're like, okay. Okay. Sure, I guess. All right. Hey, let's do some social media and get out of here before the interrogation turns around on us. What's Um, your social media? (laughs) Oh, God. It's uh, time. All right. So timeline scavengers. All right. So this is the social media part. There's lots of Twitter addresses that you can use to find us. Um, you can find us uh, at our podcast network, Scavengers Network at Scavengers Net. You can find us as part of our show at Timeline Scav. You can find me on Twitter at Unabashed James. Colin, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Colin M. Parker. What about our friend Nick? Well, our, our friend Nick, Nicky B., um, Cardi B's brother. <laughs> that's not that's not true. I mean, probably not. Um, uh, Nick Bramald is the composer of the music that you hear at the beginning and end of this show. The, the stuff that sounds professional in between. It's sort of the professional uh, outer bread and the inner Oreo crap that, uh, you know, no, no, yeah. no. We make some sweet, good stuff. Bad for your teeth, though. Good. You can find Nick Bramald on Twitter at nbramald, N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D. Or you can find him on his website, nickbramaldcomposer.co.uk. Uh, we have a Patreon page also, which is patreon.com slash Network. For $2 a month, you can get access to all sorts of bonus content. You are listening to this on or about um, the, the middle to end of November. Um, if all's going well... We have some dedicated Timeline Scavengers content that has, I'm not going to say blood, sweat, or tears necessarily, but certainly attention and reading on the part of yours truly. So basically blood, sweat, and tears. Um, uh, Dedicated to it. So check that out. Uh, $2 a month gets you access to that, as well as anything that's come before. And as long as you keep paying that $2 a month, anything that comes after. So that is patreon.com slash the scavengers network. Uh, go there and become a patron yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh. Um, William Morris Agency. No, I'm just joking. Not that. Um, it's wild, wild that I just did that. Anyways, this uh, has been... <laughs> um, Colin, I have really enjoyed this episode uh, coming up with ways to break uh, robots. That was uh, an unexpected line of... of, of uh, interrogation frankly and uh um as always i'm james anderson and i'm colin parker what's the catchphrase of our show Previously on Finish It. I jump on the woolly mammoth. Very nice. Eventually, you become captain of your own ship. You become the captain of your own ship? <laughs> Life is harsh and simple with the cave people. No, boy. Vampire advances toward you step by step by step. The usual Fingers. way. <laughs> does that sound like fun? Yes, it does. I'm Matt Yule. And I'm Chris Yule. And on our podcast, Finish It, we're going through all the interactive fiction books ever. And we read every single page, and we don't stop until we got every drop. <laughs> We're going to juice these books. Find us at finishitpod.com or finish it on any pod catcher. Woo!
The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.